Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right. How many of y'all remember that movie? You watched that movie. How many of you watched all three of those movies, right? They were, um, uh, I read recently the National Film Institute have said this is one of the best movies of a generation. And I love that comic deal. Um, and I want to say he's right about the professor, right? In fact, I want to show you a picture. How many of you say 40? How many of you say 80? How many of you do not care right now, like at all? Okay, some some of you. All right. I I, th- I think this is such a great uh, flick. And I remember when I was growing up, we didn't have great movies. When I was growing up, we had The Sound of Music. I thought that would get somebody would throw something at me. Or or we had The Wizard of Oz. And I have to tell you, I totally remember, this is a memory I have for some reason. My mom, every year, it's like they would show it once a year. This is back, you remember when you had three channels and you were the remote because your dad would go get up and change the channel, right? And I can totally remember, like, it would come on every year, The Wizard of Oz, and my mom would make us come in to watch the movie, <laughs> right? And, the, and they always had these things I want to show you, <laughs> Right? I mean, I had to have therapy over the, mo- the flying monkeys, you know? Anyhow, all right. Well, I want to welcome everybody. Uh, I want to welcome everyone who's streaming the service, and I'm grateful to have you guys here. Uh, and I'm grateful that we're in this space. And we know that right now this is not normal, but we're kind of on the road to normal, right? And so, you're, yeah, we're on the road to normal. And I want to, let me just shout out, I'm grateful if you're here and you're wearing a mask that gives uh, other people an opportunity to feel comfortable. We're not making a political statement. We're just on the road to normal. And, and right now, anything normal, right? Right? Anything normal. And uh, so, Andy, I want to welcome you guys here. So we are in a series right now, and uh, today I think is a really important conversation I want to walk us through uh, in our series. And uh, we're in the series we're calling Come Alive. I appreciated so much Keith bringing up earlier this little, uh, the idea for this really came. I was reading through the book of Ephesians, and we came across that little verse where uh, that, that Keith had a shout out earlier, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead, Christ the Lord will shine on you. And uh, I think Pastor Trevor maybe mentioned that to you guys that, you know, that's like an ancient hymn. And so what we're learning is that's a little ancient hymn embedded, you know, into that deal. And so it's an opportunity for us to think about what it looks like right now to come alive and for us to be in a space where our faith is growing. And so this is what we're doing. And um, right now um, we have two core truths that we're striking at every weekend. We're just sorting a building a foundation with. And the core truth, number one, is that we we believe this is our first core conviction. You're never going to be who God created you to be outside of a relationship with a living God. And so this sort of speaks to our worth. And so scholars, when they're writing around this, they think about when you take all of Scripture and you look at all of Scripture, what you find is that embedded in Scripture is this wonderful idea that God has created us in his image. And every single person on the globe is of inestimable worth. Aren't you impressed that I said that word right? Okay. 
that every one of us, and I think we need to be reminded of that right now in our world, right? And then the second thing that we're, and that we're going at in this series is this, that our emotional well-being and our spiritual growth are absolutely and completely interconnected. So we begin this journey learning. I've been saying this th- this way. I think I said it in week one. I said it last week in our East Campus. If you're a jerk and you come to Christ, you're a, a jerk who's a Christian. And we're just starting in that space, and then we start to grow from there. And so we're building some truths out. And uh, if you think about it this way, if week one we were, were really talking about knowing ourselves, and in week two we, we, we talked about how to become yourself, today I want to take us into to a, our next important step in what it means uh, to grow in our faith along these lines. And rather than step forward, we're going to step back. And I want to invite us into a conversation for a few moments to talk about uh, our past. And this is always an important thing uh, for us to do. And uh, we live in a culture today, and I was thinking about it this week. I wrote it down. I call it a culture of allowance. And a lot of times what's going on right now is we live in these spaces right now in our world where... um, you know, we, we just make allowances for ourselves. You know, like I'll be in a conversation and someone will say this. So they'll be talking about something. And they'll go, well, that's just Bill. That he, Bill is, that's just him. He's always going to be that way. Or this is Susie's just like this. That's just who she is. And I want to say, I'm not talking about a literal Bill or Susie. So if you're Bill or Susie, I'm not talking about you, right? But, but um, here's what I want to do this morning. What if we push into that a little? And, and what if we say that if we grow in our faith, that our, that our lives can be different, that our character can be different. Uh, one of the things when I was uh, a, a younger follower of Christ and I was sort of making my way reading through the New Testament for the first time, I began to pick up on this theme, this idea where Paul, who uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote you know almost half the New Testament, oftentimes when he was writing to a particular group of people, he would say these unique things. He would he would talk about them. He'd talk about all of the particular issues that he's addressing in his letter, and then he would say this. He'd go, "And this is who some of you were," and he's writing this from a standpoint of, "But you're not like that any longer. This is how you were." And I can remember just being as a young follower of Christ, you know, probably like some of us, you know, wrestling with parts of my character, parts of who I was as a person that I was trying to figure out that I was struggling with. I don't know. It gave me hope that there are some things that can change. And so I want to invite us uh, into a conversation uh, about our past. And uh, because here's the thing. And this is why we named this, the, the message Back to the Future. If we don't think about our past in the right way, it can get in the way of our present and it can get in the way of our future, right? Say a muffled amen, right? That's just true. And so um, over, over uh, the summer, earlier in the pandemic, like you, uh, I was wrestling my way through it. And I'll never forget when I told Trevor, I said, we're going to have to step back from in-person worship. And this is what I told him. I said, I think we'll only do this two weeks. And and I was the same guy who named this the sermon series of uh, the first one we did in, in this year. I called it the best year yet. So some of you right now are going, Google a different church. We should go to a different church. Okay. 
And, uh, and I was wrestling through all of that, like we all were, right in this weird space in the pandemic. And, I, I, and one morning in my devotional time, I just really felt God in, his, you know, in, in, in my spirit say to me, hey, Dale, this would be a great time when all of this stuff is going on for you to dig some deeper roots in a few of these areas in your life. And I started reading a book uh, uh, this uh, earlier in the summer. It's it's a it's a book about Christian leadership, and it's called "Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership." And uh, the author of the book makes a comment about how our past can impact our future. And I want to read a couple of things that she said. This is what Ruth Haley Barton observed. She said, "You take a person," she writes whose father maybe was stern and demanding, who had never heard an unconditional I love you, they find themselves on a performance treadmill, always working unconsciously to gain approval and a sense of self. And it's that very drivenness, she writes, that can result in a debilitating source of exhaustion. She says, or you take a person who was raised in a punishing environment where there was an inordinate emphasis placed on being good all the time and behaving right all the time, and they develop a perfectionistic tendency that keeps them from feelings of shame and inadequacy. And the longer, she writes, this is unacknowledged, the more they're likely to hurt themselves or others with unrealistic expectations and ideals. She says, or take a person who's experienced never being wanted or, or, or uh, you know, uh, never being loved, and they take their basic self-worth, and, and it's not there. They develop patterns of hiding their real self from others, and the person remains distant and aloof because it seems easier than to risk more rejection. Or she says, take a person who's experienced loneliness or abandonment or loss even, and they learn to keep busy as a way to avoid some of the deeper feelings that such experiences bring. Or take a person who is raised in an emotionally volatile and unpredictable environment. They develop a tendency toward fear and undue caution. And they refuse to take the kinds of risks that are necessary to become emotionally whole and spiritually fit. And I think it's important every now and again, if we're going to go forward, what we have to do is we got to go back. And if we go back, we got to go back in the right way. And so I was thinking about this, and, and to be honest with you guys, I thought of a trail guide. I thought of a person in Scripture who I think, in some ways, typifies how to go back, but to go back in the right way. And I want to read to you this morning the story of Joseph, and uh, his story is buried down into the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, and uh, I think he can serve as a great person to help us walk through really what I want us to think about this morning. So let me read to you a portion of this story, okay? So we're going to pick it up. We're at jo- uh, jo- uh, in Genesis chapter 45. Here's, here's how it's recorded. It says this. It says, so Joseph, and he's about to make himself known to his brothers. Many of you will remember the story. He was, he was disenfranchised from his brothers. They sold him off uh, into slavery, they thought he was gone. They thought he was dead. And, and here, he, go, here he, he comes over to Egypt, and he becomes this significant person in Egypt. And now the brothers are learning he's alive. 
for the first time. And so this is where we drop in in the story. It says this. So Joseph could no longer control himself before his brothers. And, and so before all his attendants, he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and the Pharaoh and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, hey, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers looking at him, they didn't answer because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there's going to be no plowing, there's going to be no reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. And so then it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. And he made me father to Pharaoh. He made me Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to my father, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me now and don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen. Be near me, you, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, all you have. And I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still yet to come. And otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. And you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you've done and bring my father down here and bring him quickly. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all of his brothers. He wept over them and afterward his brothers talked with him. Wow, what a powerful moment. Let's pray. You know, God, would would you do what only you can do in this space and would you allow this old ancient story to live and move and have its being in our lives? And would you use the truths of this story to help us navigate our way forward in our lives by looking at our past? This we pray in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Let me me kind of tee this up for a moment. This is one of the great stories of the Bible. And so really, if, if you and I were to kind of take you know, the witness of all of scripture and we were to kind of lay it out flat and we were to kind of pick through some of the significant stories, this is one of them. And uh, what I love about this story, is it's sort of interesting. You know, we go down to the book of Genesis, it starts in the Garden of Eden and then the flood, and then you get to chapter 12. And from chapter 12 to chapter 50, it's the story of Abraham and all his descendants. And embedded in the story of Abraham and all his descendants, of course, is Joseph, who is one of his descendants. And this story, interestingly enough, takes up 25% of the book of Genesis. So in other words, it's significant. It's important. And, And really, when I think about this story, this story has something for everybody. Uh, it's got lying, favoritism, sibling, rivalry, unforgiveness, abuse. It's got, it's got it all. When I read Joseph's story, it's jacked up. 
And whenever I read Joseph's story, I don't know if you're this way, I feel better about myself when I read Joseph's story. And, 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 and when we look at this, it's, it's sort of an interesting thing from the perspective that I want us to think about it because embedded within his story is a great way for us to think about our past and exactly what it is that we can work on that can help us get free of the stuff that sometimes threatens to overtake us. You know, here's what I would tell you about our past, right? We, we all have one, right? In fact, I, I wrote it down this way. None of us get through life clean. We're all susceptible to bad decisions, lapses of judgment, affiliation with the wrong people, lacks of emotional maturity, and willful rebellion. Can you give me a muffled amen to that? We all connect with that. We all identify with that. I did a beautiful wedding last weekend out on the beach for a wonderful family in our church. And there's always this moment when the maid or matron of honor gets up to talk about the bride. And, and it was, it was uh, Kathleen Wiggs is the one who got married and her sister Emily got, got up to share about her sister. And she's sharing all these different things. And about Emily was sharing about all these different things that her sister did and all these moments of, you know, uh, adolescence and all this kind of stuff. And we were reminiscing afterwards. And I said, don't you just remember some of those weird, stupid moments that you had when you were a kid when you would do these things? And we were talking about this. And I thought of this story that I, I totally remember this moment of willful rebellion when I was a little boy growing up and my mom was chasing me through the house to get a hold of me in, in not a loving way. Can I just say, not a loving way. And, and it dawned on me as I'm running down the hallway to get out from under her terror that I thought I should go outside to the driveway. And I ran out to the driveway and I got on the other side of the car. So any way she came at me, I could just go the other way. And she would never catch me. And it was a beautiful thing until my mom just stopped right in the middle of it. And she goes, you know what? Let's just pretend this never happened. Come in the house. (laughs) Do you see my error in judgment? (laughs) I, I still, I still remember that. And lots of therapy later, I, I'm almost, I'm almost completely recovered. But, um, Joseph in, his life just sort of unfolds in a way in this this wonderful climactic moment that I think there's some keys for us to have us think about our paths in the right way. And and I want to offer them to you because a lot of times when I meet with people, you guys want to invite me into a conversation about something in the past. And we we get stuck in certain places, right? And we say, you know, how... How can I get past this? How can this not be as, as, as live as it is for me right now in my life? And, and we talk about that. Joseph's life stands as a witness, and I want to share the, the, the areas where I think this is really important. Joseph uh, uh, approaches his past in these ways. First of all, he approaches it with honesty. And there's this is really important for us. In fact, I like how the, the, the writer of scripture says, it says, when Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants, he cries out, have everyone leave my presence. So then there's no one in the room when Joseph makes himself known to his brothers and they begin to talk through this experience. It says he weeps so loudly that all the Egyptians heard him. Pharaoh's household heard him. And there's this moment of honesty. Um, we have a ministry in our church that you'll hear me mention every now and again. It's called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery, one of the great tenets 
of, of, of biblical-based recovery is this idea of these steps through the process of healing and hope. And there's always this moment for folks who are going through that where they get to what is called and referred to sometimes as step four, where they are invited to do, and I love the language here, not only a moral inventory, but a ruthless moral inventory. And that there all must be these moments, you know, in our lives where where we come face to face with the experiences of our lives. And, and we invite God by the power of his Holy Spirit to be involved in that in an important way. And, 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 and for some of us who are here and, and listening online, I would say that might even be the key to, to your need to be here, needing to be here this morning, is that, is that we invite God in a meaningful way to help us in a conversation about our past. Um, some of y'all know, many of y'all know that um, I'm, I'm in a, a, a uh, covenant relationship with a group of pastors that every fall we, we always celebrate our, our connectedness together because it represents uh, a next click of the year. So this fall, we begin uh, our 30th year together as a covenant group. And in these last 30 years, I mean, we've We've witnessed kids be baptized. We've attended funerals for parents. We've attended weddings for children. We've done all these things. I want to show you a picture. Here's a, a picture recently uh, 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 together at a, at a restaurant. And here's what I want to tell you about this experience. Outside of Pastor George, who is uh, to my left there, um, when we began our relationship, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't know each other. So this group, we really didn't know each other. And here's what we did. We decided that we were going to all drive together. One of the guys in the group had a, his father-in-law owned a little place in Inverness. How many of y'all know where Inverness, Florida is? You ever been to Inverness? It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. (laughs) It's like in the middle of nowhere in our state. And we drove to Inverness and we just, we just bunked up for two days in a little trailer house. And, 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 and here, here was the, the rules when we got there. Once we all got there, we got settled, we got established. We were going to spend two days together and we were going to, we were all going to share the story of our life. And here's the challenge we said, when we share our stories, let's do it in an unvarnished way. Let's just tell the truth. And it was, you know, there were, there were these moments of, of candor. There were these moments of honesty. And, and when I think about that group and its influence and its impact upon my life to this day, 30 years later, it all started with us being willing to come together and talk about our past in an honest way. This is important. And Joseph's life really stands I think, as a, a, a witness to this truth, that there's a power when we bring some raw and brutal honesty about the things that are in our lives. And it's, it's that moment that triggers the possibility that real healing can take place in our lives. And that what maybe has chained us in the past, that those chains maybe could come off but it starts with honesty. Now, let me share with you something else that I think is really powerful. Joseph not only brings 
to uh, this story honesty or to this moment honesty, he brings a kind of perspective I want to walk you into knowing. And this is really a powerful thing. So if you read Joseph's story, and I would commend that to you, if you take a moment to read it, again, it's, it's, it's a significant portion of the book of Genesis. But if you read his story, you'll see this phrase that just keeps happening over, uh, over and again in the story. And I'll put it on the screen. Here's, here's the phrase. The phrase is, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Like over and over again, he's in some hard moment in his life, and it simply says the Lord is with him. He's, he's dispossessed and carried off into Egypt. The Lord was with him. He's in this moment after he's working for Pharaoh and he gets uh, accused of a moral failing and he's locked in prison and it says the Lord is with him. And here's what I want to say is really instructive right there. How many times have you or I been in a difficult place in our lives and we've said the opposite? Lord, where are you? Right? And what I began to notice and I began to look a little more closely in the text Every single time in the scripture in Joseph's life, it says the Lord is with him. He was facing some kind of hardship. It wasn't like the clouds parted and the birds sang, and then it said the Lord is with him. You know, and like, here comes, you know, the lady singing the sound of music. That's not it. It's in a difficult place, and it's a reminder Now, here's what I want to say about this. I I think this is an important perspective because Scripture talks about this, but sometimes we don't get it the right way. So I want to give you a little diagram. I don't know if you could do this on your app. Maybe you want to write it down, but I want to show you. First of all, I think of it this way. We have our life. There's our life. Now, let me tell you what our life is, okay? Our life is the sum total of our choices. It's the sum total of our behaviors. It's the sum total of the choices of others that impact us. Uh, It is spiritual forces of evil in a broken and fallen world. This is all of our life. That's the sum total of our life, right? All of us here are here, and we're impacted either by our own decisions or the decisions of someone else, right? There's our life. Now, on the other side, think about this. You have God. And where you have God, you you have God's plan, and you have God's goodness, and so when I think about this, this is what I think about. You, you, I think of God's ultimate purposes are at work. Uh, God uh, is working out things by his sovereignty, uh, all expressed by his infinite intelligence. God brings to this p- uh, picture a desire to bless people, a desire to give all of us a future and a hope. Why? Because we're all created in his image. And we have these two things that are going on. Now, watch what happens when we begin to move in a relationship with God. Watch this. They intersect. And let me show you this picture. And what I want you to notice about that is that God's plan and God's goodness begins to intersect with the various components of your life. Now, what I want you to notice is this. We're really looking at where the two circles intersect. Now, notice this. There's a little person there in the middle there. It doesn't mean all of it yet has been overtaken by God's plan and goodness. It's just a beginning place. But the more we open our minds, the more we open our hearts, the more we invite God by the power of his spirit in, look what happens. It just, it just continues to act. His spirit continues to move in a redemptive way. Now, now, here's what I would tell you. This 
is exactly what Paul the Apostle was writing about in that classic verse in the book of Romans where he says this. I want to show you the verse. He says this, and we know. I almost want to stop there as a preacher. Do you know? And we know, he says, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this is what I want you to notice about this verse. First of all, he says this, and we know that in all things. Not some things. Because every now and again, I'm meeting with people, and, 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 and you guys will say something like this to me, like, where was God in that? Or that's, that's too messed up, jacked up to be repaired. I'm just going to live with that for the rest of my life. But, but here's what Paul actually says. He says, and we know that in all things, not, not some things, not just the things you choose, not just the things maybe somebody told you about, but in all things, and then watch this, works for the good of those who love him. Now, challenge here, challenge. A lot of times when we're talking about these sort of biblical concepts, I will give permission online or in the room for people who don't yet believe. And this is one of the things I love about our church is that we can, we, we're a church that tries to handle the tougher questions. We allow people the chance to come in and push the faith around a little bit. We're not a judgmental congregation. And this is one of the things I really love about our church. But, but here's the thing. I'm going to flip it in the other way, and this is really a challenge for, for uh, you if I'm talking to you and you fit in that category. This promise is only for those who love him. Do you see it? And, and so I want, to be, I want to be an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> it's not for everybody. God works in redemptive ways to those who are willing to have his redemptive ways worked in their lives, who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Don't shoot the messenger. That's how Paul lays it down. And so when I look at the life of Joseph, Joseph not only gives us a a conversation, welcomes us into honesty, he welcomes us into a kind of biblical perspective that just, watch this, you guys, just opens the door that things could be different. That's that's like the 16-year-old who first comes to Christ, and I'm reading, and, and Paul says all these things, and he goes, and that's who some of you were. There's one other thing Joseph tells us here. He offers, he says, we come with honesty and we look at our past. We, we get this perspective that opens up in our minds and our hearts. But then the challenge becomes in that you have to trust him. In the classic verse, I thought it was so interesting. This only happens a couple of times a year. Many of us in our church are doing a Bible reading plan, and I thought it was pretty interesting that here today we're looking at uh, the story of Joseph, and what we read in today's reading is Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20 that says this, you intended to harm me, he says to his brothers, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Here's the real question of the morning. Will you trust God even with your past? 
Will you manifest in this space a new willingness to let God do what only God can do to redeem and repurpose even some of the most difficult moments of our lives? He can do it. He can do it. I remember, I don't know if I've ever shared this story, when I was first beginning in Christian ministry, I served as in a large church that was only about 40 minutes up the road, Stewart. And, uh, you know, in, in our, our tradition that we're a part of, you know, it's kind of an assigned tradition. So, you know, it wouldn't be like a church would call me. It's like my denominational leader, send me. And so I, I go to this church, and, and, and I'm going into this membership class. I'm just an associate. I'm just a pastor on the team. I'm not in charge. And there was, I'll never forget this moment. It was the first one I ever attended. I'm just getting to know the senior pastor. I don't really know everything about him. And there comes this moment where, you know, we're going through this, this class, you know, that he's, he's teaching. And this little lady in the back row raises her hand, very diminutive personality, very quiet the whole time. And she raised her hand and, and she said, I appreciate everything that's been offered in the class, you know. And you, you kind of feel like, oh, man, she's fixing to drop something, you know. She goes, I, I'm really grateful for all this. But she goes, I have a question. And she goes, here's my simple question. She said, do you believe, do you still believe God changes lives? And I want to tell you, for me, it was almost like an out-of-body experience because here's what I thought. I, I believe that as a young pastor. And I thought, here's this seasoned vet. And I thought, for a moment, I thought, all my future's on how he answers this question. Because if he jacks this question up, I can't serve here. And I remember looking at him going, man, don't bumble this thing, right? And I'll never forget it. He goes, you know what, ma'am, to be honest, I do. And he said, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be in ministry. And I I went, (laughs) you know, Praise God, he answered the question right. I think it's the question I want to ask you. Does he change lives? Yes. Will you let him do it? Will you let him change yours? And, 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 and before I close, I want to say, here's how I think he does it. Just a little witness from my own experience. He does it when you take even the hard things of your life and you give them to the Lord, and he works redemptively, he begins to use those in a way to bless other people. Not like he purposed it. Not like he's, you know, he caused it. But he says this, I'll use it to bring a blessing to other people. Once when Paul was writing, I just have to share this, he, he says this in Philippians, very powerful, Philippians chapter 3. He just makes this statement. He's going this one direction, and then all of a sudden he just drops this thing. He goes, I want to know Christ. It's like it just like falls just out of his heart. I want to know Christ. And he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of his suffering somehow so that I can attain the resurrection of the dead. Here's what Paul's literally saying. There's a fellowship that usually emerges from people with similar situations. And I know as a pastor that's true. You, t- you take a group of people who've lost a loved one, there's, there's a community there that's different. You, t- you take a young couple that really wanted to be parents and they were never given the privilege to have their own children and they connect with other people in that 
in that kind of grief, there's a fellowship that develops. You tell, take people who struggle with a compulsion or a brokenness or an addiction, there's a fellowship. And what, 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 what is Paul saying? It just begins to bring healing. And God uses, you know, here's, I have a friend who says it this way, God will never, ever waste a tear. Praise God for that. And it's all formed on the idea that you and I would know that he's good. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you today because I believe there are some of us who are here listening online. We just need to be reminded in this weird, turbulent, anxious, confusing, broken time that you're good. You're not silent. You're not uninvolved. You're not weak. You're not distant. Remind us of that, even as we remember through these words. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.